Hi, and welcome back to The Daily Tech Start, where I share with you my day-to-day working at a tech startup and the lessons I've learned along the way. This is episode 16, and today I'm going to talk to you about a little bit of a different topic, somewhat outside of the tech space. I'm going to talk with you about eloping and getting married in Vegas. So I'm back and I'm very sorry for the delay. And as I mentioned previously, there's been lots of changes in my work life and my personal life. Um, and quite frankly, there's been changing changes all around us. And I spent a bit of time, or actually I spent a lot of time, thinking about what I wanted from life, where I was going, what I wanted my next steps in my career to be, and specifically also where I wanted this podcast to go and, and what I wanted to focus on. So since I've been gone, it seems like Anchor has added a lot of new pretty cool features, which is very exciting. And it seems like there are some kind of new rules to podcasting and there's a lot more people out there getting into this, which I also think is one of the reasons that, you know, pushed me to get back into it. Um, I'm also actually, funnily enough, trying um, a new mic today, the Shaw mic. This is not uh, an advertisement in any way. So I've attach this directly onto my iPhone. So I'm hoping that the sound quality uh, is a little bit better and it's actually pretty neat that it just clips on. So if the sound is so much better, please do let me know. Um, So since I was last here and I last spoke to all of you, um, a couple of things have happened. I got engaged, I got married, and I'm in a couple of months going to be moving to the US, um, specifically moving to San Francisco, which is probably going to happen late July. Um, It was supposed to happen late June. Um, Whether it's June or July, it feels like it's just around the corner and it's just tomorrow. But um, as with most things, it somewhat got delayed. And I'm sat here staring at a sort of a long, long list of things to do. It feels like there's three pages of things to do that I need to prepare for the move. I need to prepare for leaving the UK, specifically London, which is where we are at the moment, moving to the US and everything that that entails. So I, there'll probably be an episode down the line of what it means to, to move to the US um, from someone who's living in, you know, living in Europeans in Europe. So what does it mean as a European to move to the US? So it feels like there's, uh, I'm going to table that and there's a lot more to share um, specifically about that. And I'll probably share it with you once it's done. Um, Okay, so so back to the wedding and a little bit about the when, the why and the how. Um, And I do have to address this. I know this is somewhat outside of the normal scope um, of what these episodes are. Um, But here's the thing, I feel that by not addressing it, I'm actually sticking to this ridiculous belief that people who are interested in tech and politics are either male or they're not interested in other things but tech and politics. So hear me out. Um, I know it makes more sense um, for this podcast to be ultra specific. Um, Trust me, I've done the data, I've done the research and all of the data that I found, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, points this to being true. Find a niche, find a topic, get people interested in and stick with it. But here's the thing. My gut is telling me that if I open this podcast up a little, don't worry, not too much, um, I'm actually going to, specifically as I'm obviously kicking things off again, I don't want this to be too vague, but if I open it up a little bit and I start to focus on the real things that I'm dealing with outside of working at a tech company, um, then I don't believe that you're going to get the full picture 
uh, or even you're going to get the best of me. And here's why. I apply a lot of stuff and a lot of things that I've learned in my personal life and I apply it to my professional capacity and vice versa. And I think I spoke about this previously about this idea of the spillover event effect, sorry, spillover effect. Um, and this idea that there are things that you can learn and pick up from from one space and apply them to something else. And this could be as simple as, you know, um, you were previously VP of sales, and there's a lot of things that you are doing, there's a lot of processes, and there's a lot of lessons that you've learned leading a sales team, and that team being efficient and scaling it up. And what can someone who's maybe starting to lead um, a product team or an engineering team can learn from that VP of sales? And I actually always love going outside of that scope and outside of that space to, to learn those lessons. And I think it's the same for your personal and professional life. Um, so that was a long rant there. But there's another piece to it, which is I, I really do believe that we need more women and more sh men, actually, sharing their full selves um, for us to advance, for us to allow women to be women um, when they go to the table. Um, this idea that women should look and sound and act like men to be accepted is something that I actually thought was very true. Uh, I mean, the last couple of years have shifted that mindset pretty drastically. Uh, read a book recently that's called Own It. Um, so if you haven't, definitely check that out. Um, it was just a fantastic read on, on like owning your feminine side and, and all of the added value as a woman that you can bring. Um, so if you don't mind, um, this episode is going to be talking a little bit about what it meant for me to elope and to get married um, and what it actually meant to organise two weddings um, from the ground up in, in less than 30 days for, for each of them. So you might remember also that last year I was teaching myself something new every 30 days um, and I'm still more or less keeping that up um, and the idea was for me to master within those 30 days whatever it was I had chosen to focus on. Um, whether that was skateboarding, whether that was solving a Rubik's Cube. And what I did is I applied those same lessons learned and those same processes to organising these two weddings. Um, because actually it's not that difficult, it's not that different and it so happens that the processes that are applied for one can absolutely be applied for another. So this is more or less the timeline of how it went. In February my now husband and I took a trip to New York which was absolutely brilliant and we sort of sporadically got engaged um, then just after St Valentine's Day on the 15th of February. I guess these are dates I'm going to start to remember. And in late March, we got some news Then we decided to move to San Francisco because my husband's going to be doing the US expansion for the company, the tech company that he works for. And I'm very, very fortunate enough that I can stay with the company that I'm currently working at. So the aim was, I mentioned, to move in June. That got somewhat pushed back to, um, to July. And... So that's more or less where we're at today. What's interesting is I always said that if I got engaged, because this was never a big goal of mine, but if I did get engaged, it was either going to be the longest engagement in history or the shortest. And I think I, the reason for that is I don't do well with unfinished business. And for me, that's what an engagement feels like. And I know I should learn to enjoy those moments. But for me, it's definitely that thing of I need to get to the goal. or I need to get to that finish line. And that's getting married. Not again, prefacing that my goal in life has never been to get married. Um, I also knew that our wedding was never going to be anything was going to be anything but traditional. Um, my husband and I are both massive introverts. And the I I think the idea of spending a whole day um, with all of the attention on us um, 
and all the focus on us and celebrating us is just not for us, um, for neither of us. And so we were very clear on that. Um, so I rang up three of my best friends and our closest friends and I offered them three dates for a trip to Vegas. And the reason for Vegas is, A, the weather's pretty much always beautiful, so I didn't have to worry about that. Um, one of those, you know, the weather's one of those things that you can never control. So I like to get that out of the picture. And the other idea was finding somewhere actually that allows you to get married pretty quickly um, is really hard. And there's a couple of places here in Europe, apparently there's somewhere in, in Denmark, which I learned in the aftermath, and there's somewhere here in Scotland. Um, the weather in Scotland, as some of you may or may not know, um, is definitely not predictable and it's most of the time predictably not good. Um, so Vegas it was. Um, and so when the dates were, were locked down, um, and thankfully I have incredibly flexible and wonderful friends, it was sort of time to, to tackle the to-do list and it was a pretty long to-do list, um, but it was nice to know that I had 30 days of sort of craziness to get this, um, to get this done. Um, the biggest thing, I think, the biggest hurdle or challenge to get over was booking the flights for days that, you know, accommodated everyone um, because I was giving everyone sort of 40, 30 days notice, finding a hotel that was available, finding a chapel that was available, and then finding a photographer. And I do want to talk about the photographer piece because I did a lot of research and I spoke with a lot of people um, around this idea of eloping and what that would look like. And one of the things that absolutely everyone told me is whatever you do, find a photographer um, that's going to capture this moment for you. It's the biggest regret you'll have is if you don't have pictures and videos to look back at. And so that was one of the biggest tasks was finding a photographer um, online that I'd obviously never met, never was never going to speak to before we, we actually met him for the first time in San Francisco and that would capture the event the way that was reflective uh, of who we were. So back to the to-do list. So once you've got your, I would say, your logistical things knocked off, um, booking the flights, the hotel, the chapel and the photographer for what it's worth, um, there are enormous, I never realised just how many chapels there were in Vegas, so definitely plenty of choice there. They also, it's like, I think it's 24 hours, 24-7, sorry, um, the openings of the chapel, which is pretty impressive to, to say the least. The other thing that was um, a really good thing that we did, which was um, doing sort of an expedited and make sure you get your wedding certificate done online. You will still need to go to the Clark County to get it done, but at least you can do it through the expedited line and it lit it really does just take you five minutes on site to get the paper that you need to then go to the chapel. Whatever, if you want this to be a legal and legally binding um, wedding, definitely don't go to the chapel without your certification because you're not actually then getting married um, officially. Um, then you need, um, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but you need an apostolite. And we got, again, an expedited apostolite where you get it 24 hours later. And this is the actual certification, um, wedding certificate, the real deal that you will then need for legal documents. They give you when you leave the chapel a certification, but it's more for keepsake um, more than anything else. And once we got that sort of out of the way, um, came the fun bits of organising all the activities and all the things we wanted to do. I packed it probably a little, a little bit too much in hindsight, but not too much. I also wanted my friends to sort of enjoy um, Vegas and to have a good time. And it was here, one of my biggest surprises is I knew it was going to be fun. I didn't think it would be that fun. I thought it was going to be much more awkward than what it was, but it ended up being very true to who we were. So it was part fun. It was actually romantic. 
Um, one of my biggest debates was around the chapel and who was going to walk me down the aisle. I have never been traditional that I need someone to give me away. Um, but that being said, I'm extremely close um, to my dad. And there's another piece about that, about what I'll talk to you in a minute about eloping and what that entails when all of the people that you're leaving behind. Um, so that was a whole thing. And, and I went the complete extreme. I thought, I don't want anyone else walking me down the aisle, so I might as well make it crazy fun. And so we did do the very traditional, very quirky um, Vegas wedding with Elvis impersonator walking me down the aisle and, and singing fun tunes. And again, that went to my surprise that it was actually pretty nice. I mean, it was fun. It was what it was. The ceremony was five minutes, um, but it turned out way beyond what my expectations were. And my expectations were pretty low. Um, the other piece that I was surprised about how difficult it was going to be was finding the right dress or finding the right clothes. Um, any excuse to go out and buy a dress, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but what surprised me, and this is where I sort of got a little bit of... Uh, an insight into the whole wedding industry that I was surprised about, kind of new and was very unimpressed with, um, is the amount of people you call up to try a dress or find online and uh, their response is generally, oh God, no, I need, you know, three fittings and what if you get fat, what if you get skinny in between, we need to sort all of this out. And at this point, I probably had three weeks to get what I needed. So I went to all of the normal um, sort of online shops that do shipping and I had a point where I think I ended up with probably a dozen dresses here um but hey ho the joys of online shopping and I, I ended up it was actually I ended up using the last dress that um that I bought um the other thing that I would suggest is that I found was interesting was going with a couple of options so I ended up going with two dresses thinking I was going to go with option a and right at the last minute I mean could not be in that last minute changed my mind and went with option b and do not regret it and I think it was the best thing I could have done um and then the other thing that I would highly suggest is doing a couple of photo albums. We did a lot of them because our photographer was phenomenal and the pictures came out absolutely just great and exceptional. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do was for, especially for the parents um, who weren't there and weren't, didn't make, not that they didn't make it, but just, just weren't there on the day because they weren't invited because we eloped. Um, giving them a photo album was actually a small token of appreciation, but I think went down really, really well. And so... Two of the biggest things that I think is worth mentioning when you are eloping, the first one is get that photographer. Again, can't stress that enough. Find a photographer who's not, um, who doesn't only do traditional wedding photography. They generally have really expensive packages because the only thing that they know is the traditional wedding with, you know, 50 to 300 guests. And it's a whole different thing when you're trying to take pictures of 300 guests. There was only five of us. So, so much easier, so much more flexible. And our photographer was extremely kind that he did a package very much tailored to us and it really didn't cost us that much and um, it was great great value for money um, the second piece is um, if you elope um, people around you are going to have a lot of feelings and a lot of opinions and a lot to say and I think it's fair for them to say let them have those opinions you, the wedding at the end of the day is for you and your husband and if that's the thing that you want your closest friends and your family will understand it um, it wasn't the easiest conversation when I explained this to my dad um, but we had the conversation and he did get round to it and he did understand um, but safe to say that it wasn't straightforward. And it was interesting how, again, tech had a really big role in our day because we FaceTimed during the ceremony and when we were getting married and my dad was in the mountains in Switzerland, I believe. So I was FaceTiming him and it was 9 p.m. his time. It was 12 p.m. our time in Vegas. And he, through his computer, was sending the visuals back to 
folks of ours who were also based in Brussels. So it was very interesting how we managed to do the sort of cross, um, cross-border, cross-Atlantic um, wedding and managed to get people involved uh, in the last... Yeah, we managed to get people involved. Um, um, the other thing that was a big surprise, and I think this is the last thing to say um, before this turns into a full um, eloping um, podcast, but um, it was actually nice to have Vegas, to have everyone around Vegas excited for you. Um, it helped take the awkward out of it. it. Again, us being two introverts, it helped make the day actually quite special of just having crazy screaming people everywhere, happy for you, celebrating. I mean, they were either drunk, they were either just one at the ta- one big at the poker table, or they were, you know, there to have a good time. And, and that had a huge role, I think, to play as well. And then here comes the interesting piece. By this time, we still didn't have rings. And I had a sort of a, a in, engage, placement um, engagement ring. Um, and so when we started looking at engagement rings and rings, one of the things that I knew is that I was going to get deep into the research around diamonds. Um, and I went down a rabbit hole um, on this. I actually did my dissertation on conflict diamonds. Um, so it's funny how life works that, you know, 20 years later, um, I was sort of digging up uh, my thesis on uh, on this and what I'd written on that specific topic. Um, and it was interesting that I got to the topic of lab-grown diamonds. Um, and again, this is where it goes back to tech because the rings that we actually ended up buying were from a lab-grown um, diamond company um, based in San Francisco. So just very weird. So a diamond stimulant or a fake diamond is not actually a thing. So diamond stimulants are cheap. Um, they're not diamonds. They're like white topaz. They're aluminum garnets. Um, and diamond stimulants don't have the same chemical composition. And this is where the difference lies. So Diamond fakes or diamond stimulants don't have the same chemical composition or physical properties or even the optical behavior of an actual diamond. And and then over the years, I think for a long time, we've heard the term synthetic um, diamond, which is often associated um, by consumers with an imitated um, product, an artificial product. Um, and the U.S., actually in the U.S., the Federal Trade Commissioner and the Federal Trade Commission have indicated that um, an alternative to um, synthetic diamonds could be lab- lab-grown diamonds, laboratory-created, um, man-made diamonds, which actually very clearly communicate the nature of the stone. And there are a lot of misconceptions, and I learned this while doing my research. There are an incredible amount of misconceptions around lab-grown, lab-grown diamonds. So... Unlike the taxi lobby and the hotel lobby, and we've spoken a lot about the taxi lobby with Uber and Lyft, and we've spoken a lot about the hotel lobby um, in the tech space with Airbnb, the diamond lobby has actually worked preemptively to fight the coming this coming disruption, which are lab-grown diamonds. And over the years, they've done absolutely everything that they can to ensure that the growth of this culture diamonds to make sure that there is a bad misconception about lab-grown diamonds. Um, And so part of that effort is very much about spreading fear and uncertainty and doubt about lab-grown diamonds. And this is, don't take my word for it, type in lab-grown diamonds and the amount of articles that you will get and that you will read mostly manufactured by companies um, like De Beers who um, are scared of the lab-grown diamond industry. It's actually pretty pretty astonishing how many articles are out there and how many misconceptions are out there as well. So much so um, that 
over the last 10 years, there's been pretty much an incredible recent improvement, specifically around the tech that allows for these um, lab-grown diamonds to exist today. So clearly that industry has been growing and the Beers and other rival diamond mining corporations have actually for the first time ever in history, I think, come together to form what they call the Diamond Product produce side the Diamond Producers Association, the DPA. And it's ultimately a trade group um, that is the, that was the sole purpose for it to be created, I believe, if my if my information is right, is to form the fight against the synthetics or so in 2017, um, the advertising budget of the DPA, so of the Diamond Producers Association, was around seven, sorry, $57 million, which is pretty astounding. Um, and there's another big part of why I was interested in the lab-grown diamond, which is very much linked to that, um, to that paper that I wrote a while ago around conflict diamonds. And that's very much the idea of sustainability. The mining of diamonds out of the earth is by definition not sustainable. Um, and it's getting less sustainable every year. So a couple of stats and facts here, over 6 billion carats of diamond have been extracted from the earth since antiquity. And whereas only 1.2 billion carats of mineable diamonds are estimated to remain in the earth today, according to the latest public fi figures. Um, and this comes from companies like De Beers who have put these numbers out there. So 6 billion carats of diamonds have been extracted since the start. And we're estimating that there's only 1.2 billion carats left. Um, so in other words, the di diamonds are actually not forever. Um, diamonds, sorry, might be forever, um, which is the later, which is the term that we all know, but diamond mines clearly aren't. So while mining diamonds require diesel and dynamite, growing diamonds in a lab actually only requires carbon and electricity. Um, and we have an abundant amount of carbon um, and electricity that can be sourced from renewable sources today. Um, so the idea here is that lab-grown diamonds truly are sustainable. The other part of this, uh, which is obviously why companies like um, De Beers, and I'm sorry, it's the only, like, I know I keep calling out De Beers, there's no reason for this apart from they've probably been the most vocal here. Um, but the other aspect here is... Diamond mining is extremely profitable, and De Beers have reported a profit of $667 million in 2016. Um, Al Rosso, which is a, a Russian mining company, reported $2.3 billion profit um, on a $5.5 billion um, revenue in 2016. Um, so they're a pretty big, uh, they've got a pretty big stake in this. Um, the other aspect here is a is that the mine, mine diamond, the supply chain for mine diamonds um, that, that, you know, that date back from the 15th, 15th century are actually pretty ineffective. And the, the journey of a diamond from mine to market is extremely long. There are a lot of middlemen making the price of the diamond along the way um, increasingly high. Um, it's also really hard to ensure that this is a conflict-free um, diamond, i.e. that people haven't been enslaved to look for these diamonds in mines, that um, children um, are not involved in the process. Um, so all of this is one of the reasons why I was actually really curious to dig into the lab, um, lab-grown diamond industry. And incredibly enough, um, as I was preparing for the podcast today, um, TechCrunch has just come out with an article um, 16 hours ago. So I read it this morning, but it clearly came out in the US yesterday, which says the title is that the Diamond Dynasty De Beers, the ones that I keep quoting today, um, stoops to conquer with new line of man-made diamond joy. So 
it's fascinating to me that um, the industry that has been against this and that has had one of the strongest lobbies against lab-grown diamond, i.e. the future of the, what I see and what many others see as the future of the diamond industry, have today announced that they are gearing up to, be, to, to start selling lab-grown diamonds. Um, and this is, a, this is actually going to be a blow for the lab-grown manufacturers like Diamond Foundry, which is where my ring came from, um, because they've raised $100 million from high-profile investors. Um, over the years, uh, I know that DiCaprio, has, I think, has invested, and which is interesting, the fact that DiCaprio actually invested in Diamond Foundry, because if you remember, he actually, per he actually played a mercenary, um, a mercenary gem smuggler in the 2016 Blood Diamond. And if you haven't seen it, worthwhile going seeing the film. Um, so yeah, so weirdly enough, um, wasn't planning on this, but the Beers has announced a new jewelry line. Um, and it is, a, and I have to say this, it is a very, very public reversal from a company that two years earlier had turned up its nose at the fort of Mind Made Diamonds and who've helped put out all of the false statements and all of the things that people should be worried about and saying that, you know, man-made diamonds or lab-grown diamonds are like synthetics, which as I explained previously, they definitely are. Uh, are not. But what is exciting, and I think it's always exciting for me, is seeing such a traditional company embracing technology, embracing innovation, and seeing the possibility of a sustainable, um, a sustainable solution to a product that they've been putting out there for, for many years. Um, so there you go. Um, that's, that's today's um, podcast. Um, I didn't expect to talk so much about lab-grown diamonds, but I did promise you that I wasn't going to stray too much um, away from the tech space. And I also just wanted to share what I've been up to, um, and, and hopefully there's some nuggets in there. If anyone's planning on eloping, if anyone's planning on eloping to Vegas, hit me up. I'm more than happy to share my to-do list. I'm more than happy to share recommendations of where we stayed, what we did, what not to do. Um, and if you want to know more and if you're planning on getting engaged or planning on getting a wedding ring um, or an engagement ring for your to-be fiancé, I am happy to talk to you um, about lab-grown diamonds at length. Um, I've done an enormous amount of research and the fact that the biz has just come out with this is both fascinating and exciting to me. Um, and on that note, I wish you all an incredible day.